state. Yeah, same so with New York. New York's one party, but in Maryland, it's a two party. So, uh, you know, yeah. I don't think you were going to come after me for it, but just, you know, <laughs> I pro I think I'm probably on a watch list or something, so you're gonna be safe. You, you kidding? You got me. You got me on. You got me uh, physically. You got me in words. You got me in writing saying that I'm okay with it. So. I know, I know, but you never know, man. It's better safer than sorry. I I'm sitting down to record episode 7 of the podcast, Worlds of M.W. Lewis. It has been over a week since I last uploaded a podcast, and I will tell you, I believe I complained in my second episode about how 2022 had come in like a dragon and was really kicking my butt and if that was bad enough, because I had had a lot of time off, actually, for the holiday to burn up a lot of vacation time. So, first world problems, I know. But last week, everyone for the company I work for returned to the office, post-pandemic return, after 20 months. And we were only required to work three days in, and we're going to do two days from home. But because I have direct reports, I actually went in four of the five days last week so that I could overlap with all my employees multiple times just to make sure everyone was good because I am a kick-butt boss just like I am a kick-butt dungeon master. <laughs> okay, that's of course my biased opinion of myself. So anyway, and I'm a kick-butt father and coach a basketball team too. And by the way, speaking of basketball, we had our first game yesterday, and we won. I coach my uh, music player, the jazz man. I coach his basketball team, and we won yesterday, first game of the season. In the last week, though, I was I did manage to run my Friday night uh, Dungeons & Dragons game, but we did skip the Monday night game last week, which we do every once in a while. Every, one, every couple months, we'll skip a session of that Monday game. And I have to admit, we skipped it because of the basketball. I have, unfortunately have basketball practice on Monday nights. Sometimes we play, and then I run to basketball, and then I'll come home and we'll finish the session. Uh, fortunately, the practice is just, it's literally five minutes from my house. Sometimes I don't go to practice because my older son is helping coach the team. But I had to be there last week. And I, I've decided after the game on Sunday, I'm prob probably going to all the practices for the next five weeks so we're, we're trying to figure out what to do about the Monday night game but the Friday night game went off that's about all I was able to do in the last uh 10 days or so for Dungeons and Dragons um but I'm back at it now I am going through my interview with David I told everyone I uh in episode six that I interviewed uh someone from Facebook who wanted to kind of explore 1e he was a 5e player, or is a 5e player, and maybe other editions, maybe 3.5. It's all in the interview. I invited him to join Saturday Night One Shot, which I've been participating in uh, for the last month or so. And Brian Larch, I've mentioned him a million times. I've, I've told you to go to his Kickstarter. I have a feeling uh, not all of you have done that yet, so go to his Kickstarter uh, for Brian Larch. Link will be in the notes. And I invited David, and David hooked up through the Grog Talk uh, Discord with Brian, and it was really exciting, and he played a game, and I then interviewed him about his experience. I'm not really sure David will continue playing 1E or not. 
I know he hasn't made any more one-shots since the one three weeks ago, but that doesn't mean anything. He could just be busy or, you know, he maybe he's got a life, unlike me and Brian and a bunch of the other guys who just play D&D all the time. And, and more power to him. But I, I, I really enjoyed my conversation with David, and we continue to communicate on uh, Facebook Messenger on D&D stuff, and he, he's, he's probably a really fantastic Dungeon Master from the way he talks about the game, and I, uh, I admire that. That's going to be today's episode. It's the interview between me and David, and I think you're going to really enjoy it, or maybe you won't. So if you don't, you don't have to listen. And of course, music from the trumpet player, Josh, my son. Fantastic trumpet player. Make sure you check him out on Instagram at Jazz Reverb. He's really fantastic and getting better every day. He really sucks at basketball, though. And I I mean that. I'm not actually kidding. It's kind of his one athletic endeavor he does these days. He knows it. We all know it. He's not the worst, but he's not the best on our team either. But he could be better. Um... But he has fun, and I have fun coaching him, and, and the team is fun. So And we won, So and we're a good team. So that's it. Uh, I'm going to chop up that interview and play it, and then I'll have some words to take us out. Get into it, Dave. So here we are. We're with Dave. I'm not going to say your last name, Dave, and don't say it. Uh, I met you on Facebook just yesterday. Yep. You put something up. Time. Yeah. You said um, kind of like you weren't really being critical of 5e, and I might have misunderstood your post, but I got the sense, for whatever reason, I got the sense that maybe you should try 1e. I, I yeah. reached out to you. You you came back, right? So I reached out to you, and how'd you feel when I re reached out to you? What did you think? Oh, I'm all about it. I, I'll take any opportunity I can get. Some random guy is gonna wants you to play one E. I'm all about it. Let's do it. Yeah, I love and and uh, I don't. You know, I want to convert people to one E, and I don't even want them to give up five E. Uh, I mean, I I would play five E. I if somebody I know is DMing a five E game, I will play it. I'd like to try it, but I love one E, and I think everybody should try one E. So you, you joined uh, you joined a Discord. You got uh, set up with a guy I, I mentioned on my podcast before, Brian Larch. He does uh, one-shots on Saturday nights. And you joined the game. This was great. I mean, yeah. uh, good for you. Like, how, how great is that, right? You tried a new thing. <laughs> Within a few hours, you were playing with a large group of people. <laughs> yeah. So after the game, you were kind of you're kind of pumped up, and you you sent me a message on Messenger, and you said you had a lot of thoughts, and then so let's talk about your thoughts. Is there can we organize your thoughts into distinct topics? Well, the first thing I'll say is is that Brian did a great job of with DMing in general, and you could see a lot of the things with DMing in terms of like encounter design and level design and narrative design. Um, where in like managing players and knowing the rules where yeah there were things that maybe didn't make as much sense as they could have but i didn't really care i was you know we're trapped in this moment of a group of adventurers going out to save a uh, a young maiden who was kidnapped like, yeah it's the most basic story of all right the maiden yeah, in distress exactly. damsel the damsel oh boy i'm probably gonna get i can't say go, damsel perfect. but the damsel in distress right uh, <laughs> and i'm not calling women damsels it's just a literary thing the damsel in distress and a woman led the charge by the way my monk yeah. oh, the sure. female monk yeah. led the she got rustled you men up and said we're gonna save this woman let's get moving so so the first thing you talked about is 
Having to interact with the DM. All right, this idea of interacting with, with the DM twice per round. Uh, I get what you're saying, but let's talk about that. 1E versus 5E. You play a lot of 5E. You Dungeon Master I games. do currently. I've played a lot of 3.5 as well, but we'll stick with 5E because that's the popular one. Let's talk. Yeah, let's not talk about the other editions. It's let's. This is 1E <laughs> versus 5E because we're moving on to a new edition soon. Uh, you uh, DM it. I, I get the sense from your comments to Brian last night after the game. Yeah. Which I thought were excellent comments. And I don't even know if I agree with you, but I, I love hearing commentary on the game. I think you're mm. a good DM. I can tell that. I think you're probably a really good DM. So <laughs> what did you think? Let's talk about it. It was kind of what we, we were just talking about it a little bit. What about this interacting with the DM between 1E and 2E? And just give your observation. There's no judgment zone here. I love the way the combat works in first edition. Like, I love this back and forth conversation of what are you guys doing? Here's what I'm doing. And then you come back and go for the roles. And it's so much more engaging than other editions where it's just kind of like, now it's your turn. What do you do? And it's like, oh, well, I'm going to do this. And everyone's like, oh, you're going to do that. Like, huh? Yeah. Especially, especially for larger parties, you end up in the situation where in games with an initiative order where everyone just goes in their order the first person will go and the last person as far as they're concerned can go get a cup of coffee you're um, talking about 5e right 5e i'm talking about well I'm yes i'm talking any any game with an initiative order system like that would work right right any rpg with where that you don't announce yep. your actions and you're and talking like a, a individual initiative your people some people roll 10 sided dice and everybody's ordered that's what you're talking about i mean whatever sided dice yeah. i know in call of cthulhu it's set i know in fifth edition everyone rolls a d20 and adds their decks or other bonuses there's plenty oh, of other like systems. Dreadful. It's just by the, the way, intention being that, <laughs> that that sounds dreadful. What you just described to me, <laughs> D twenty, add your decks and bonuses. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Go on, continue. <laughs> yeah, no. So that's kind of how it works. Of so like, um, you know, so for instance, in a standard five E thing, uh, your dex bonus would be generally your initiative, unless you're, uh, I think sometimes monks and sometimes ranger subclasses can do other things and. You'll go and everyone rolls a d20 and then the DM will take down the order that everyone's in. And so let's say, you know, uh, Andrea the monk goes first. Well, um, Thrompar the fighter might have rolled a two and he might not, he might have a negative modifier for his decks. And so he sees that in the party of seven, it's probably going to be about a half an hour until it gets to his turn. <laughs> So Th Thrognar is going to go get a cup of coffee, or, or, read a book, or, or, he's, or, he's, um, or he's watching something on Netflix, like a hat, one of or the, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And so with smaller parties, it's not usually an issue because if everyone's kind of on the on the ball, then it works out. But especially if you have a creature with a higher number of hit points, um, you end up in this huge issue where you you know it comes up to um Thrompar's turn and he's like all right what did i miss and now for like the sixth sixth time because everyone else has probably done something similar um you have to explain everything that's happened so and so <laughs> a six second round supposedly in fifth edition can take for absolutely ever when you have a high number of players when you have a low number of players like two yeah. or three it's never that big of a deal yeah. um Let's fast forward 1E. You played last night now. This is, it sounds like the first time you used an initiative system like 1E. What, how'd oh, you feel about great. it? What'd you think about it? Oh, yeah, no, I love it. And it's great because you start with everyone kind of discussing 
how they would move forward. And someone says, oh, well, I'm going to do this. And someone's like, well, if they're going to do that, I'm going to do this. And we all talk about it. And we kind of like brainstorm a bit. And then once you say go, then it's go time. And then whatever happens, happens. And it's great because it's that extra level, level of strategy. And it means that even if you rolled, even if your weapon speed is slow and you're slow and you lost the initiative and all that stuff, you still get to interact with the DM twice per round. So, yeah, you could zone out or whatever, but it's way less likely because you have literally twice as many times you have to be involved. And I love it too. And and even though you have and and as you get into the combat, the first round, before the first round, the DM allows a lot of conversation because the party's oh, yeah. uh, really literally together trying to figure out what to do. But then as, exactly. as the round continues and the party does their different things, the DM and Brian does it too. He he want there's less interact there's less like well if you're going to do that, I'll do this. And then the DM says, "You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know he's going to you wouldn't know he's going to shoot the arrow. You you would run yeah. in the path of the arrow." And then the player, as you noticed last night, really does, they respect that. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. And and then what you do in my games we we got into a round, uh, like the third round of a fight, and I started saying quick decisions here. Quick, to, I said you got you got thirty seconds to make your decision now because someone was really going through their spells, and I finally said, "Man, you're in the fight. You got thirty seconds. I want your decision right now. Thirty seconds." Yeah. And then he gave that makes it, sense, though. and that's the I mean, way a DM creates. I'm put. I'm at, I'm trying to take you out of these rule books and out of the, our yeah. living rooms and dining rooms and wherever you're playing. I'm trying to put you right there in the battle. Like you, you don't have this luxury to make a, a long decision. If you can't make a decision, you have no action, and that's and we'll move on to the next person. We joke about that in um, fifth edition because when you have these long initiative wait times, it's super insulting to everyone when you decide to look at your spells when it's finally your turn. Because <laughs> it's like, come on, man, you've had all day. Like, yeah, I know. It's like, are, are you, you kidding? Yeah, and I think I don't even think five e precludes the DM from saying, "Next, you're you're no action. You're not prepared." Now, obviously, a lot of people have trouble making people feel bad. I am blessed. I am blessed with the ability of not caring if I make people feel. <laughs> I will say, next, yeah, no, you're not ready. Right. You're not ready. Sorry, you're gonna get clunked, yeah. clunked on the head, and you're not doing anything because you're indecisive. Yeah. All right. Good. Good. Great discussion. I do love that about the D and D one, and I love the one initiative per group, uh, not individual initiative. And and D and D allows for. I think a D and D even somewhere in the rules allows for. Or people took it out of one of the earlier. Uh, I do remember playing it both ways over yeah, the many years I played one. Yeah, and in the same way of like, I mean, I know for a lot of dungeon masters, and I do this often when I need to save time. I'll roll one initiative for all of the monsters, and I usually, when I play on a table, I use tokens that are, that are numbered, and I can just go through and just say, all right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You know, yeah, they all go. Yeah, as what, opposed what, to. Because some people, because like if you play online, it's pretty easy to have a button where you hit where it rolls them all individually. Yeah, but it can get confusing kind of fast. Yeah, and I use Astral. If you use a virtual tabletop, it'll even order the players in the combat order. Um, yeah, but for one, I, I don't use that. And and when I do use individual initiative, I I never. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do it. Yeah, I mean, trust me, I never am saying people are wrong. I'm just saying I 
I would never use individual initiative for the monsters. I, I would allow the players to have an individual initiative, but I'd only have one role for the various monsters. Um, if they're a group of monsters. If they're different groups, I yeah. might group them. You, you said the way 1E seems to be written is that it's brutal. My 1E collection is a bunch of books in a milk crate that someone dropped off in a milk crate at the library, which I think is amazing, by the way, that you got that yeah. that way. Uh, and it includes a few modules, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it, you think it's incredibly dangerous. Um, and you say uh, it didn't get better in 2E, because you're right. 2E was just as brutal. Uh, and it had uh, Obla VX, the, the devil Obla that we were talking about. So yes, tell me about... Memory bold. So when you played 1E with us, and it's, it is a brutal game. Well, how, how, how does that... Like, you're mostly a 5E player, right? I, I don't really know your age or anything, so I don't know when you started playing D&D or what edition you started with. I started with... I'll be, I'll be 31 this year. Uh, I started playing 3rd and a half edition in college. Okay. The, the, and that was the big thing. Um, I think fourth edition, that whole debacle was just finishing up. And just as I was getting into D&D, fifth edition was coming out. And no one was, people were still trying to figure out if they wanted to jump on that bandwagon or not. So you started off around so, three, th edition three and a half not really playing fourth and then and then obviously you do play a lot of 5e now so we just yeah. we just kind of introduced you to 1e and and why why and like how does it i'm not gonna we're not gonna debate it, i think 1e is a more brutal game more first level characters die in 1e than oh, in 5e that's clear so but how does that make you feel did you not like it do you i mean do you think it's cool or or do you think 5e is right that to allow characters a chance to make it to higher levels um, I think it's definitely, I think it's, it's, it's definitely like a narrative choice more than like the way the game is. I mean, the thing about fifth edition, especially recently, um, another topic we could talk about for literally years is that they're trying to adapt kind of to everything. If you go in the dungeon master's guide for fifth edition, it has rules for laser guns. <laughs> like... I mean, it, it's it's they're trying to kind of it's kind of a, a, a mold that everyone tries to fit, and you start as kind of already a hero, and you progress as you go on. You can die, but dying in fifth edition is really hard. You have to make all these death saves. There's tons of mechanics that can get you out of it. There's having all of your friends. If one friend knows revivify, I think it's third or fifth level or whatever it is, then you can just yoink someone back if they do die. Like, it's really hard. So the story you tell is a story about heroes who conquer. The first edition is a story about heroes who survive. Maybe they conquer, but it's probably not likely. Yeah, The world yeah. is a dangerous place. Yeah, it's kind of like... Those characters that make it to even fourth or fifth level are they're already like really exceptional. They are they have dealt with a lot of danger and actually lived. And that's not usual for oh, the adventuring type. It's better it's better to stay on the farm and keep your head down if you want to have a long life. If you go off adventuring, exactly. you're gonna probably die. Yeah. It's actually it's interesting. Yeah. Um I've I've had this conversation with a few people because people would always ask like what does it mean to have a high charisma score 
in fifth edition, people think of charisma. Usually, they're thinking about like charm, you know, because it's tied to things like persuasion and deception and bluff and performance. So, usually, the people are like, oh, you know, if you if you have a, a high charisma score, you're probably like pretty good looking, and you probably know what to say at the right time. You're very charming. But I I remember I had this conversation with a friend of mine. What, what I'm getting at is charisma in first edition and the earlier editions was there because if you were a fighter and, or a martial class of some sort, eventually the people who had started out and actually survived somehow in some way or another as magic users were going to overpower you. There's no way you would ever keep up with these super high-level spells as someone who had a, you know, just a sword. And so the great equalizer would be, well, as you reach these higher tiers as a magic user, you become an all-powerful wizard. As you reach a higher tier as a martial fighter, you gain followers and you gain you know, platoons and you had a force that you would bring with you. And that's how you survived at high levels. It was never, um, it was never uh, a question of you know, well, can, you know, hey, I'm a level, you know, let's say a level nine fighter versus a level, you know, seven wizard. The wizard would win every time, but the level nine fighter would have a group of guys with them, and that's what the Christmas score was originally kind of for. Well, it's not necessarily true the wizard would win every time. It does also come down to initiative, but I, I am nitpicking because you know you're generally no, no, I'm nitpicking because you're generally right. Yeah. A wizard. A high-powered wizard should beat a fighter, pretty much all the time. But and you make a good point. About, and you make a good point about the charisma. The the charisma score. One of the things you get with a high charisma is the it's the number of followers you can have. Yeah. Yep. That's what I mean. In the same vein of like at very low levels, traditionally in D and D, being a magic user was I'm not going to say certain death, but you weren't doing yourself any favors. Yeah. Compared to a guy with a big, compared to, you know, Conan the Barbarian. Because, like, one thing I, I, I found about everyone who plays first edition is you all roll your stats. Uh, you roll 3d6 six times, or is that, that usually how it we, is? We do what's called method one. It's the 4d6 drop the lowest, which gives you, uh, right. you know, over the yeah. distribution, you, you get generally higher than average scores, yeah. It's still a very common method to use. Yeah, and I, I guess the mo um, you, you, you modern players don't like even doing that, right? No one wants to roll well, for I the I say top. that because, well, for instance, like, for the library game, I don't have time to have people rolling all those dice. I really don't. Yeah, yeah, no, for one um, shot, that makes sense to give out pre-gens. That totally makes sense. But if you were playing with a bunch but, of friends, it was going to be a campaign. Wouldn't, wouldn't they want to roll their character? But that's what I'm saying. The, the way that they set it up in 5th edition is they said, we'll give you three ways to roll stats. You can obviously roll um, four, uh, 4d6, drop the lowest. You can, uh, if there's another method, most people don't really mind. And this is one of those things where, especially if you go on the internet, you can get into all sorts of arguments because everyone has their own way of, of how do you do this. And some people say, oh, well, I use the, um, the standard array. 
and they say, okay, uh, you can go right in the player's handbook, fifth edition, and it'll say 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8. Those are your numbers. Put them wherever you like. And then you can add your racial bonuses, and then you can add your class bonuses, whatever. Well, it wouldn't be class bonuses. It'd be racial bonuses, and then whatever other things you end up picking up. So if you're using the variant human rule, you could pick up a feat that might give you another bonus, or whatever the thing is. So there's some people who say, oh, well, I like, the I like the standard array, but I want my players to feel even more powerful. So I use this standard array, which is different. Yeah. Or some people are another way they do it in the player's handbook is they call it um, point by, which right, is right, you take right. This everything's is... at eight, and then you add so you you have a bunch of points and you can allocate them to whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Which is okay, but you can end up with like three things at fifteen and three things at eight. Yeah. Which gets real weird because but the 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 intent being that you're either not you're either well, two things. I guess in 5th edition, a commoner has stats of all zero. So every roll that it would make would be a straight d20 with no modifiers. And... Well, without getting that, into the... Without continuing into the details, because there's a lot of great discussions on this on some other podcasts, what my question yeah. was, how do you feel... Like, what do players like, though? Like, what do you think? Like, you were handed a character last night and it yeah, had its scores... But, but you said why, you know, you were kind of questioning we like to roll our dice to get our ability. What what do you think the modern player, just quick answer, do they like that or not? I think what a player nowadays wants to do is they want to, just like everyone, they, they want to have a specialness to their character. They want to have something thematic about it. The druid wants to be able to turn into an animal. They want to make that epic move that only the druid can do. They want, you know, the paladin, the cleric wants to turn undead. The paladin wants to have a holy smite that destroys their enemies. Uh, looking into, like, the player's handbook, maybe there's something in the DM's guide. I was a fighter, right? My shtick is that I'm a fighter. I can bend bars, which I guess might come up, but I don't know if that's something that would like that I'm, like, super hyped about. That's not like a cool epic thing. Oh, I can bend bars. I can lift gates. Um, meanwhile, the uh, thief over there is the only guy who can who has a percentage roll for hearing. Um, no, no, that's not true. All, all characters. I, I, I said it so quickly last night. All characters yeah. can listen. The thief just has an exceptional ability to listen. But what I'm saying yeah. is, is that like. Everyone wants to be able to do the thing. And I think the reason that 5th edition has become so popular is because you can, not only is it simplified to the point where you don't need to dive too deep into the rules to really start playing, which is something I've <laughs> tested for sure since I run these short games. Yeah, yeah. But also the fact that if someone said, I want to play some kooky character I just made up. I think that'd be so cool. That'd be so epic. That's what I want to do. Yeah, I see that you on Facebook say, okay. all the time. All the time. I see them. Yeah. Uh, DMs are like, give me advice. Somebody wants to play like a lizard, tadpole, bunny mix. And and that's literally, yeah, I'm, I'm making fun weird. here, but that's I what mean, I see. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. And I, I joke about it because like, you know, you know, sometimes I'll such so I'll ask everyone who they want to play as, and I'll say, "Here's the level, you know, pick whomever," and everyone draw says a thing, and I go around the table and I say, "Who are you all?" And then I kind of joke about it because it's like, you know, I have like a rabbit, an elephant, uh, owl, two orcs that have dumped their strength and 
you know, and, and have high charisma for some reason. And I don't know. Yeah. Something weird, like a snake person. Or something you know, like. it just, to and me, it's it just, just it, very weird. it's a different game, it's a though. Weird. It's a different game. Exactly. And getting back to the ordinary, the ordinary character. First of all, the fighter, uh, you were limited because you were worried about getting that level drain. But there's other things we could have done last night. If we had been a more cohesive, if this was more of a campaign and we were a group that worked together and we all knew our characters really well, there's ways the clerics could have buffed you up a little. They could have, oh, no, sure. yeah, they could have put spells on you. Yeah, they could have put spells on you. So, but like, I'm just saying that like it's one of those things where if you play as a fighter in a newer edition. You don't have to like. You obviously it would be great if you got you know if someone cast bless on you and you got that extra one d four to add to your d twenty rolls, like that'd be awesome. But if you're an eldritch knight, you can cast bless on yourself. If you take the yeah. martial, if you take the um, the magic initiate feat as a very human, you can cast bless on yourself regardless right. of what other. And that, and that are. I gotta admit, that's one thing I don't like. I don't like the muddying of the power because in one e, there's other powers that a fighter has that didn't come up last night. But if you fought, um, let's just say he put a bunch of low level goblins in that encounter somewhere, you would get yeah. as many attacks on those goblins as your level. I think you were started at tenth level. Uh, nine, but yes. Yeah, so in one They're round, you'd get nine attacks against those goblins, and nobody else would get that. So you would wipe out a room of goblins. I mean, that would have been, yeah. been nice to know, I guess. I, I guess just one of those things where, like, I think that the newer editions is all about bringing people in to play that thing they really wanted to play. I mean, uh, uh, for work, I... Um, I work at a naval shipyard up over in on the um, on the main border, and so we're constantly fixing like submarines. Oh wow! It's pretty sick, but it means that uh, so my job I work in engineering, and it's a lot of fun. But essentially, you get these big tech manuals, and you have to meet all these requirements. And so it's funny because I am going through all these big tomes and trying to find all these requirements and making sure everyone's doing their job. And I come back and my hobby is to go into these big tomes and go through all these rules and make sure everyone's meeting them. Well, and so it's just, it's just like, well, well, I guess that's what I'm doing now. I, I guess and you, you get the obvious connection of that to Dungeons and Dragons because that's yeah, exactly. 1E. That is 1E <laughs> and ODD, uh, more so ODD and 1E than basic. Basic, Moldvay Basic and Holmes Basic was was a, a set of D and D that the rules were kind of compact and in one place. But the yeah. earlier versions before that, and then A D and D one E two E, and then I don't really know how the rules are after that. Uh, we're kind of like one. dig through the books, and then I think Five E went back to sort of the compact presentation of the rules. Uh, sort of. I would say yes. I would say. I, yes, I'll say that one. I'll say that fifth edition and third and a half. Fifth edition and third and a half are more similar than people would like to admit. I think. I will say that there are times where you can you can force one narrative versus the other. So, for instance, you could play fourth edition and always have like twenty guys with you, or, or for yeah, first edition always have twenty guys with you, or. You could play 5th um, edition and have it be particularly brutal. 
And this actually kind of happened to me once. Actually, a lot of things happened in this particular story, which uh, are sort of relevant. Um, I was asked by a bunch of friends who I'm friends with in real life and see regularly um, to uh, DM a game. They wanted to get into it. And so I ran the introductory adventure for 5th edition, which I love, named Lost Minds of Fandelver. And it went great. And they said, we want, we want to do another module. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And they said, well, we don't know. What's what's out there? And I said, well, there's Prince of the Apocalypse, and there's the whole story with Tiamat and the Mother of Dragons, and there's there's the Curse of Strahd. And they said, ooh, the Curse of Strahd, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. Now I'm not a very I'm not a very spooky guy, and at the time it was middle of coronavirus, so I'm trying to be spooky over the internet, which is even harder. And it was one of those things where the thing about the Curse of Strahd is that it is actually a sandbox game, where my players decided to ignore the plot hook as they as players tend to do, and the way that the Curse of Strahd is set up is. The world is there, and the players are in it, and there's no reason for them to not go anywhere. So, those of you who want to play, uh, hold your ears for like five seconds. It's not a big spoiler, but it's a spoiler. And that is that the uh, players decided to go right into, um, when they left the initial town, and they went straight to a hag's uh, den. I, you know, a whole bunch of them, they all lived in a... In a yeah, window. the night hags. And yeah. they, yeah, they they ran right to them. Right, literally, do do not pass go. Don't collect your dollars. A bunch of level three adventures against people who can cast lightning bolt. <laughs> and like, it was a hard fight, and they ran away. <laughs> like the, the the theme of survival still kind of stood. That um, campaign actually worked out because once I finally realized how to become creepy over the internet. To be to really give off the theme of Strahd, everyone realized they weren't comfortable, and they all stopped. <laughs> Which is why it's interesting that you mentioned previous to recording about DMs being worried that their players aren't happy because it was very we we. I'm happy we stopped playing, but it, I will say that that game is a lot more work for the DM than. Probably I had thought I had hoped it would be considering it's a module. Yeah, um, it's it's really interesting like, you you bring this that up. That goes all the way to like level fifteen or so. I mean, you if if they cross the map, they could have gotten themselves killed so quickly. I don't even know what to do. Well, yeah, and um, the other thing is in five e, I noted and I noticed this because I also think players who who play one e have have gotten away from this. The, there's not when I played back in the '80s with my friends, and there would only be three. You know, at the most, we'd have five people, but oftentimes we only had four people. So you'd have a dungeon master and three players, and because we were like 12 and 13 years old, we didn't really know how to scale anything. So if we were going to run keep on the borderlands, the DM wasn't. You know, nobody was taking out the module two days in advance and scaling it. We so what we would do, we would just have a lot of henchmen. So you're going to hire, we would call them retainers, because that's what it was called yeah. in basic. So then we started playing 1E, and we just still called them retainers. So you'd have three or four fighters you'd hire at the keep. And, th and that's yeah. how we were able to run a module that required six players with only three players, right? Yeah, that worked out. Yeah, and it worked out. But I noticed now the modern, a lot of modern players, they don't want to, and I know in 5E, my son told me, he played a 5E game, he said, no, we don't. 
we don't really hire you don't hire NPCs in 5e you just don't do that you don't need them because we're we're, yeah, we're you, very powerful so I that's another difference it. that's another way the charisma is not that important whereas in 1e I think Gary Gygax envisioned a lot of people would be using these NPCs and your charisma becomes very important yeah. in that part in that regard it, it's a very different sort of thing I mean the the uh the one e story of survival reminds me of something more of like a call of cthulhu game where you know that like you might win but you never really win the world goes on without you so like you know that you know in first edition like it's less about you know saving the day and more about being a hero for hire and if you're lucky you might even get some gold at the end well, I love that you just said that. You might live, whereas in 5e, you're going to become this like superhero. And that's what somebody asked me once. They said, I don't understand D&D 1e. How do you win this game? And I well, said, how do you win any of them? <laughs> I, well, I said, you, you live. <laughs> that's all. Your character doesn't get yeah. killed. And, you li and you, you're a winner. And then you're the winner of the game. <laughs> I, mean, we, I mean, we joke about that because in 5th edition, like, how, how do you win? Even even if you die, you don't like you know you don't lose a life. I mean, you, I guess you do, but you, it's not like you know it's not like the same thing that's ticked off. Every time I've ever lost a character, I crumple it up and I throw it across the room and I grab a new sheet and I fill it. Yeah, out. well, that that really gets to the point. There really, you know, RPGs, all of them. There really is no winner or loser unless you're at a, at a con and doing a tournament, and then they have these points. Yeah. And but otherwise, for most people, the most people's experience of an RPG game, whether it's Star Wars RPG, Lord of the Rings. Roll whatever it might be, Roll Master yeah. Cthulhu. It, it's just a. It's there is. It's really not a winner. You know, if you want winners and losers, play chess, play Monopoly, play Risk. Exactly. Those games have winners see. and losers. So, Dave, I I don't have a lot more time. I want to get to this last one because this one really yeah, fascinates me. Yeah, this thing <laughs> about the this is I don't understand this about five E, and I think a lot of my listeners who might be one E only, you can help us here. You say in the other editions, there are roles for perception, persuasion, insight, sleight of hand, whatever. And I don't understand yeah. if how that works in 1A. So obviously, we did have some roles in that one shot you played with us. There were, Brian yes. asked a few of us to roll, uh, like when we entered in, and did we notice if the time, remember there was a time shift? Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I understand the saves. I yeah. just didn't know how it tied together. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, what I I can't really, I don't think I can really explain it. But what I'd like you to do is explain to us, one e players, what are what are these roles? Perception, persuasion, insight, sliding, and why do you think that's good? Like, why is that a good thing in, to have in the game? Um. So the thing that's really great about this, the, there's, I guess, skill. Skill rolls, ability rolls, not really abilities. I guess skill checks would be the way to go. So the thing about skill checks is you could, I, I'll take, I'm going to take the, a wild guess and say that for first edition, you use whatever your stat is. So for instance, if you're making a, a check to move a large boulder, you'd roll and then add either something, or use your strength, use your strength to supplement that roll of whatever it had to be, which makes sense. In. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. You might maybe, just do. Maybe. We oftentimes we'd say just try to beat your strength. So you'd have to roll a d twenty, and if you rolled under your strength, you you succeeded. Which makes sense. The thing that's nice about the other skill checks 
is because is means that um there's a great example in i want to say the fourth edition rules that talks about two people who roll up human fighters um that both have you know a, a long sword and a shield and how one of them is a human fighter with this with a long sword and a shield who grew up on a farm and learned you know how to take care of animals and you know kind of go in and 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 and, and be good for the community and then ended up being spurred to action and the other human fighter with a long sword and a shield grew up as a noble and they were corrupt and their lust for power brings them forward to go out and you know rally troops and they were both the same character they had the same stats they had the same equipment um they had the same armor on paper and the question becomes like well you could always role play them as different people they are different but the skills were always really nice because you could you could make your character better at that one thing so for instance let's say you grew up on a farm the background might give you a bonus to in fifth edition it's called animal handling right so if there was a wild animal that came up you could use this extra skill that you have and maybe other people have it too and they're based off of your abilities so for instance um wisdom is usually what gives people things like insight or for some reason they gave it uh, perception which i don't necessarily agree with but I'll, i'm not gonna argue with that either well, you could argue and, that's intelligence, right? Perception could be yeah, intelligence. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I see that too. I, and I think even in one e, I think in one e, the rare, the rare times a DM wants you to make some kind of perception. We we don't use that term, but we would say roll your wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the same sort of thing of like you know, it's really nice. So for instance, a great uh, mechanic they implemented for rogues in the newer editions is. You have roles for a sleight of hand or for stealth, and you can get proficiency in them. So you can you can add extra modifiers to the role to make it more likely to pass. And for rogues, often you can get double proficiency. They call it expertise. And so, you know, if if those two characters rolled up, one of them might have proficiency in you know there's two human fighters. One of them might have proficiency in animal handling, and uh, persuasion and insight and the other one might have it in deception and um sleight of hand and other things like that so you can make your character different uh, in a mechanical in a, in a meaningful mechanical way so answer me this then what what exactly do you use perception for because i i played with these uh my son's friends uh, a few years ago and they were like they always wanted they're like well how do i roll for perception and i'm like well that's not in one e you i, I reminded them we're playing one e <laughs> I'm like, so why do you want to roll perception? I'm like, what, is, what does that even mean? And it'd be like as soon as they entered a room, they're like, well, I want to make a perception check. And I'm like, for what? Like, what are you <laughs> trying to perceive? Like, I'll tell you what's in the room if you ask me. <laughs> so what is yeah, it, though? And, and I do think these kids didn't quite understand the mechanic. So Yeah, I would say that um, So perception, um, a perception roll is if you are looking around. It does not mean you're looking for something. It is you are observing. In third, if in third and third and a half, they had different roles specifically for seeing, smelling, tasting, whatever. That's not quite true, but it's it's. I think there was one for like looking, and there was one for hearing, but they broke it up. And in fifth edition, they simplified it and just saying perception. 
And so the intent would be is, you know, you're in a dungeon and there's an old wooden door in front of you. And the players would say, well, what's on the other side of the door? Like, I say, well, are you going to open the door? And they say, no, I want to press my ear to it. And I'd say, okay, well, then roll perception. See what you perceive on the other side of the door. It sometimes gets confused with another role, investigation. An investigation would be something like you search the room for something. You know it's there, you, you, or you think it's there, or whatever. You're not perceiving it. You are using your perception skills, but you're really investigating to see if that thing is there. And I kind of like that they broke it up that way because now it means that you know you could have someone who's really good at finding things once they know that they're there, but have, they're just totally clueless. The other way that it's run is um, some of the skills are passive. So, for instance, um, I mean, any skill can be passive if your DM wants it to be. But usually it's just, it would be 10 plus whatever your skill of value is. And so, for instance, if you have a passive perception, let's say you're, um, I'm playing a cleric now with a plus three wisdom, which would be a 15. And um, say so a 15 wisdom score, it's a modifier plus three. Their passive perception is 13. And that means for the DM that if another character tries to sneak by them and rolls for stealth and rolls lower than a 13, the player doesn't have to roll anything to see them. They automatically say, hey, you, you there, stop. Mm. Which makes life a little easier for when the players are sneaking around because then you can say, okay, there are, you know, 10 guards in this area. The players might not know this, but, you know, the DM would be thinking this themselves. And the players would say, okay, we're going to sneak in. You say, everyone roll for stealth. And you can either have them do group roles or individual roles. I'm not going to get into that, but it's an option. And everyone rolls. And if the role, if however you decide it, if there is, if you're doing it individually, a role under the guard's passive perception, then they're spotted. And then if you're, a, if you're a, a nice DM, then maybe they're spotted and the guard says, hey, someone's here. Let's go find them. And now that guard has to go investigate. Right. Now, the investigate might just be plot, and they might just find them soon anyway, but it gives the players an opportunity because now, you know, it's a, just another way to, to build the stakes. Because like I said, it's not about winning chances are on 5th edition you're going to make it. I mean, I can't guarantee anything. It's D&D, who even knows? But at the end of the day, it adds to that plot of like, you know, a great example is um, there was a game, it was called, it was something stupid. It was a, I forget, it doesn't matter. There was some game they had a while ago, it was about where you played as a bunch of bears trying to steal honey. And it was great because the whole point of the game was that you couldn't, at the end of the day, you were going to succeed. But you rolled because you wanted to know all of the things that happened to you on the way out. Right. So, in a way, the way I view it, a lot of this stuff was just adjudicated in 1E without rolling. So the DM would just make a judgment, right? Like, yeah. someone might be trying to sneak by you. Uh, he might just, in his own mind, say, ah, I give him a 30% chance because uh, this player is pretty good or usually pretty uh, paranoid and make the role and then would sit, tell the player what happens. You see someone sneaking by or they wouldn't wouldn't let them know. I wonder, yeah. though, I, I get the sense that these kinds of 
areas, aspects of the game that gave the DM a free hand caused tension at tables over years and years and years. So the rules try to catch up and they say, okay, we'll just put, you know, we'll do stealth. Now we have stealth checks and perception checks and, and now you can't, actually, now you can't argue well, about it. You just make rolls. I actually don't agree with that. Okay. Because, um, at the end of the day, the DM chooses what all the difficulties are anyway. So That's interesting. I know some people who joke that like, like one of my big pet peeves is when dungeon masters make everyone roll for something that they have to guarantee passes. This is you brought this up. You brought this up on on last week, actually. The thing about the door. Where it's one of those, exactly. Where it's like, if you're in a situation where you know there's a letter that the players need to find to learn about political intrigue that leads them into the next adventure, they can roll for investigation. But even if they all roll ones, they have to find that letter because if you make them roll for it, there's a chance they could all roll ones. And the next thing you know, you're on a different adventure and right. then something else happens in the background and you're like, Oh, what was the, well, why did that explosion go off? And it's like, Oh, well you didn't save the bad guy that I, you didn't ever find out about. And that's just feels bad. So, well, that was good. I think that was a good discussion. Fi- final thing. And I, I don't have a lot more time. We've been already been on over a half hour. So this is great. Great discussion. Um, <laughs> would you try another one E game again? I absolutely would, but I was going to say, if you or your son would ever like to play 5th edition, I'd be happy to run something for you guys. I actually have a module in mind, uh, the Sunless Citadel, which I think you guys would really get a kick out of. Yeah, I would consider playing a 5e game. I'd like to play. I can't say I would I would do more than just maybe try a module, and then that'd be about it. This was great talking. Um, I, I do. We do. You know, we have the one-shots, and every once in a while, I'll do a one-shot on 1e. Um yeah. I would say try another one of Brian's one shots because they're awesome. Yeah. And um, uh, again, it's like when you're doing a one shot on a Saturday night with Brian, no, nobody really cares what the plot hook is. We're just, you know, we're just oh, going to yeah, do the no, adventure. Sure. You're yeah. there to fight things. And, yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. No, I get that. All right, man. Thanks. All right. Thanks. You have a good night. So as you can see, that was an engaging conversation with David. I really enjoyed it. I now uh, text with him on Messenger, and I consider him a friend now and a fellow uh, like me uh, uh, and many of the people I, I play with, uh, another lover of D&D, whether it be 5e, 1e. It doesn't matter to me. I'm glad he tried 1e. I hope he will try it again. I'm sure he will, and I might take him up on his offer. In fact, I probably will take him up on that offer and have him run either my son and I threw a 5e module, or I could probably recruit someone from one of my other games to do it. I think we would enjoy it all. I, I would really like to learn the 5e game a little bit. And who knows, maybe I would convert. I doubt it, but I maybe I would. So that's another uh, edition of the worlds, the many worlds of M.W. Lewis. I hope you enjoyed it. And remember to keep exploring all those worlds, those many, many, many worlds in your own mind. Until next time.